Well, before we begin our Torah study, let's pray together. Baruch atah Adonai, lehenu melech haolam, asher kitshenu b'mitzvotav, etzivanu la'asok b'divrei Torah. Blessed are you, Lord our God, King of the universe, who sanctifies us with his commands and commands us to engross ourselves in the words of Torah. Amen. If you brought your Bibles with you, open to Genesis chapter 12. We're going to start in the first few verses there. It's, it's a call to Abraham that includes God's orders to Abraham, the assignment that he's giving, and it also includes a prophetic picture of who Abraham will be and what the world um, will receive through Abraham. And there's something, there's an important little nugget of an idea I want to start with, and that is God needed Abraham. Of course, Abraham needed God. This is very clear. But God also needed Abraham. God was looking for a man through whom he could establish a covenant on the face of the earth and through whom he could create a family that would grow into an extended family and become tribes and nation, a nation, and through that nation he could extend his covenant uh, to the whole world. So God was looking for such a person. There were not a lot of candidates. This was the man. Abraham was the man. And in a sense, when Abraham was Avram, he was, uh, he was the man who would become the, the chosen one uh, for this assignment. And what was added to his name, the Ha can be understood several different ways, but Ha all by itself means the. So if you just separate it, there's a little lesson that can be had. This is the Avram. This is the Abraham. This is the one who was called by God and responded wholeheartedly and given an assignment. God knew who he was picking. He picked an individual who would respond with faithfulness. He was trusting. God was trusting Abraham to be faithful. And Abraham trusted the Lord and did what God told him to do, and it was counted to him as righteousness. Well, let's start in Genesis chapter 12, verse 1. Now the Lord said to Avram, Lech lecha, get up and get out. Lech lecha, get out of your country, from your family, from your father's house, to a land that I will show you. And let's pause for a second before we continue reading. I think most of us who are here had to get up and go out of something in order to get here, in order to be part of a Messianic congregation and part of this Messianic synagogue. And I can tell you there's a great reward for you, for your faithfulness and for the sacrifice that you make. Because each of us has had to get up and leave something familiar. And we've had to choose to go out in order to go into. And so I congratulate you because you've had a lech lecha call in your life. Now it's also interesting to understand that almost all of us had to leave somewhere else in order to come here. So let's just check this. And I hope you're not touchy about this. I, I know I'm not. But um, think about where you were born, where your, what country your parents were born in, what country 
their parents, and your great-grandparents. We'll go all the way back to great-grandparents. And let's ask this question. How many of us have um, parents, grandparents, or great-grandparents who were born in other countries? Can we identify ourselves? It's, it's a vast majority of us here. And so we really can say that in our past, maybe even in our immediate present, we have had to make lech lecha. Someone in our family has had to get up and to go out in order for us to be where we are today. And so we're a continuation. Each of us has, has made that decision. And um, it's something that helps us identify with Abraham. He made a choice. And as well, when you come into the Messianic movement, you've been here for any length of time, sometimes it only takes a day, you'll find out that other people misunderstand you and what you're doing. How many have had this experience of family and friends misunderstanding? <laughs> In a way, we're called to be a bridge between the Jewish people and all the nations of the world. And think about a bridge. A bridge is meant to be walked on. So, don't be surprised when it feels like that's what's going on. And understand that the purpose of a bridge is to make connections that wouldn't exist on their own. And to make it possible for uh, people to, to join together who could not otherwise join together. Let's go to verse 2. The Lord says to Avram, I will make you a great nation. I will bless you. I will make your name great, and you shall be a blessing. Now let's look at that phrase, you shall be a blessing. That, that translation doesn't quite capture it in modern English because many people read that and think it's a prediction or it's in the future tense, but actually it's an imperative. It, it's in the commanding voice, which means this. It would be better translated, be a blessing. One translation is, be thou a blessing, but at the, at the most simple, it's be a blessing. It's a command to be a blessing. So that person who's alive, who's sitting closest to you, smile at them and say, be a blessing. Be a blessing. Be a blessing. That's what you're called. If you're called to join together and be part of the great family of Abraham and Sarah, be a blessing. Then verse three, I will bless those who bless you, I will curse him who curses you, and in you all the families of the earth shall be blessed. And that last phrase is, is not exactly right. It, it's in a reflexive voice, so it should be something more like this. In you all the families of the earth shall bless themselves. You see, the responsibility and the ability comes upon all the families of the earth to bless themselves. They have to learn to relate to Abraham and to the children of Abraham, Isaac and Jacob, and to learn to relate in such a way that they receive blessings and that they are a blessing. So this is, this is an important passage, not just for those who are born Jewish, but for all those who join together with Messiah, and especially for all those from any background who join together in a messianic synagogue to understand 
our marching orders, if you will, the assignments that we've been given. The order that Abraham received was, was very important, lech lecha, let's say that together, lech lecha. Abraham's responsibility was to get up and to go. If he just sat there, as some people do, and say, well, if God wants me to, he'll make me, then he would have never been in a position to fulfill or to experience the blessings associated with this call from God. Lech lecha. Many people super-spiritualize life and they say, God, it's all God. It's not at all about me. Well, that's not exactly right because your response is on you. God may give you an assignment and he expects you to fulfill that assignment. And if you have this super spiritual attitude that there's nothing for you to do, well, understand this if you tried to do that at work and the boss gives you an assignment and you say to yourself, well, if he really wants me to get that done, he'll do it. And that sounds crazy, doesn't it? If you were at school and the teacher gave you an assignment and you said, well, if she really wants that done, she'll do it, I guarantee you, you will be repeating some classes. <laughs> and yet, in spiritual matters, people do that with God. God gives them an assignment and they sit on their tuchas and do nothing and say, well, if God wants it, he'll make me. If God wants it, he'll do it. No, if God says, I want you to get up and get out, it's your responsibility to get up and get out. It's the assignment. That's how it starts. Get up and get out. Well, where are we going? I'll show you. So God's responsibility was to show the land to him. But I want you to understand that it was more than that. It's not just about moving, because almost everybody moves. How many people have moved more than 30 times in their lifetime? I don't even want to count. Um, so, uh, Sandy, close. <sighs> people move, but moving in and of itself isn't the point. The point is, what is Abraham being called to? What he's being called to and what he's being called to be are the main point because the reason he has to move is in order to become who God wants him to be, to be in the place where God wants him to be, to be in the situation God wants him to be. So it's not just a, a, about a matter of being willing to move. In fact, some people are willing to move whenever times get tough. And I'll speak to you in particular, all of you who have that attitude. You're the ones who need to hear from the Lord. Be still and know that I am the Lord. You know, it's a, it's a Purim message if you can understand this. The Purim message was, you stay here and watch me deliver you. The Passover message is, you get out and watch me deliver you. But some people want the Passover message all the time because they like to escape. They like to go from one place to another whenever times get tough, uh, they get going. It's necessary to learn how to persevere. And 
as Rabbi Uri was talking about, timing is everything. Imagine if Noah couldn't persevere. Imagine if he just got tired after 99 years of working and say, you know, it's enough already. Or if he had to know everything from the very beginning. The Lord said, I want you to build an ark. And he said, okay, why? Well, it's going to rain. What's rain? (laughs) You see, there are times when God wants us step by step to begin to respond to him, but he also wants us to continue to respond to him, to persevere and to stay faithful to him. That's very important. So it's not just about going somewhere. It's, it's much more than that. So it's important for us to pay attention to the life of Abraham and how God related to Abraham so that we can apply lessons to ourselves. And it's good to ask yourself this. What are you called to be and what are you called to do? These are two different aspects, to be and to do. And of course, the, the great songwriter combined these in that great phrase, dooby-dooby-doo. <laughs> Sandy, I didn't know if you would like that today, but it's like, uh. <laughs> You've heard that too many times, okay. <laughs> what are you called to be? That has to do with character that has to do with identity, what are you called to do, that has to do with action, both are important. If you only make it about action, then you will not have the sense of purpose that you need. But if you only make it about being without action, then you will not have taken to heart what Yeshua taught, which is this, the one who hears my word and puts it into practice, this is the one who builds his house, on the rock. Or if you just think, you know what, I get it on the inside, it doesn't matter what I do. Then you will be like those who said, Lord, Lord, but they didn't do what the Lord had commanded them to do. So there's a combination of being and doing that's important. These two aspects are related and they connect to each other. Now, in the call of Abraham, the Lord is saying, I want you to act. I want you to get up and go out. That's one part. But he's also saying, I want you to become a father. And how old was Abraham at this point? I think it was 75? 75. He could have made the case, you know, I don't think so. If you wanted that, you should have told me a lot earlier. If you wanted that, you should have done something a lot earlier. And yet, Abraham trusted God's timing and God's word, and that's why it says in the scriptures that he trusted the Lord and it was counted to him as righteousness. He put his heart into what God was calling him to be. So he had to be a father, he had to embrace that, even if it contradicted some of his normal understandings about biology and about the best age to become a parent. He was also called to be a man of faith, to trust God for a sense of fulfillment. Many of us have had this experience 
You, you were going along in life trying to find fulfillment and doing this and accomplishing that. It's not that your life was a series of tragedies or problems. It's that it was a series of accomplishments that didn't fulfill you. And you hoped they would, and so there was yet one more. Every type A person can have this kind of experience. Those who are goal-oriented and task-oriented can discover, you know what, I did everything I thought that would bring fulfillment, and it didn't bring fulfillment in the way I was looking for. I was looking for more, something deeper. And that requires trusting the Lord. Trusting the Lord and then discovering he can fulfill. And Abraham was also called to be a faithful man, just, not just a man of faith, but a faithful man. To be trustworthy to God, to be dependable to God, to be someone that God could depend on and give an assignment to knowing it would be done in the way that God had in mind. In fact, in uh, the passage that we just read, it ends with a, another verse that says, and Abraham did what the Lord said. He did it. He accomplished it. He was dependable. Abraham was also called to be a father of faith, to pass his faith on to other people. It's not enough to be faithful for yourself. The faith that is distinguished in the scriptures is a faith that's genuine for an individual, but it's also transmitted to the family and to the generations that follow. Passing on faith and faithfulness to the generations, this is very important. Abraham was called to be an instrument of blessing. And how would he do that? By blessing other people, by having an attitude of blessing. He was also to be a source of blessing for others. The passage continues and tells us that Lot, his nephew, went with him. And Lot was blessed through Abraham's obedience. And then he was called as well to be an example be a blessing. Act in a way that blesses other people. It's a combination of being and acting. Now, when we read about the life of Abraham, it's useful to think about what was defining his life and also to reflect on our own lives. What are the orders, the marching orders we've received for our lives? What are the orders we've received from our commanding officer, if you will? or from headquarters. It's important to know that. There's, a, there's an aspect of revelation that comes from God. It's called chazon. Say that with me. Chazon. And it means vision or prophetic revelation. It's not the same as a business mission statement or vision statement because it's revelation from God that applies to an individual in the context of God's plan for not just that individual, but for their family and for the society that they're a part of. It's important to know what you are commanded to do, what orders you have received. Without chazon, without that revelation, people perish. They cast off restraint, the scripture says. They can't make good choices. They're unbounded. They could go this way or that way. It's important to know what direction to go in. Now we can say this, we can be confident that the Lord has given us orders to be a messianic synagogue together. We're not confused about that. We don't wake up in the morning and say, you know, maybe we should just turn this into a club. 
A country club would be good. Or maybe we should be a church of some sort. Or maybe we should just be a traditional synagogue of some other sort. No, we know what we're called to be. We know what God has given us orders to be. It's to be a messianic synagogue. And you can't be a messianic synagogue by yourself. Try it. It's not possible. We're called to be a community for Jewish people who are disciples of Yeshua. And we're called to be a community for all kinds of Jewish people who want to explore the life of faith and the new life of Messiah, even if they have not yet made any clear choices about Messiah. This should be a place where Jewish people can explore. And as well, we're to be a community for people of, from all nationalities and ethnic groups who want to be joined together with Jewish people who are disciples of Yeshua. So for instance, if, if you're an anti-Semite, you probably won't be happy here. <laughs> but then heaven may also be uncomfortable for you. Yeah. We're called to be a Messianic synagogue and to fulfill the prophetic promise and the purposes that are described in Jeremiah 23, verses three and four. Very important for us. And this is a distinctive that we should understand very well. It, it makes us different than many of the other groups that say that they're messianic, but really they're, they're called to be a church or a ministry inside of a church. Or they're called to be a pro-Zionist group, but not a place for uh, Jewish disciples. And sometimes there are groups that, that are enthralled with Hebrew roots. Don't like the tree, but the roots are okay. <laughs> Let's look at Jeremiah 23. Starting in verse 3, the Lord says, I myself will gather the remnant of my flock out of all the countries where I have driven them and bring them back to their sheepfolds. That's a very important idea, to their sheepfolds. And I want you to see the connection of these two words, flock and sheepfolds. Do you see that in this passage? The promise is that God is being a shepherd and will continue to be a shepherd. And he will look at his people as part of his flock, and he will want his flocks to be cared for and protected inside of sheepfolds. They will be fruitful, and they will multiply. And then verse 4, I will also raise up shepherds for them, and they will tend them, and they will not be afraid any longer, nor be terrified, nor will any be missing, declares the Lord." This is a prophetic passage that is at the heart of the Messianic movement and is a, a prophetic description of what a Messianic synagogue is. We are not a movement that created ourselves. We are a movement that's coming into existence because of God's initiative, because of his promises, because of his plans, because of his faithfulness to fulfill what he set out to do. And so we are, we are a response, a willing response to what God has initiated. He said, I'm going to do something where my sheep aren't just scattered. 
I'm going to do something where my flocks, my Jewish flocks, can gather together and be cared for. And we can understand as Messianic rabbis, we're called to be shepherds. We're called to take care of the flock. It's not just the teaching ministry. It's not just a leadership ministry. It's a shepherd's ministry. We're called to create congregations and make sure that they are healthy and safe places for the people in these congregations. So we're called to be a messianic synagogue that fulfills the prophetic promise and purposes of Jeremiah 23. This is part of our identity. Some people come to us and they want us to restore the church. And I can tell you that's a different ministry. It's a different calling. And it's a big task. I don't know who's up to it. Seriously. If you think about church history and you understand that for the first three or four centuries, things were going along in a certain direction, and then as the bishops emerged, and as, as this new kind of religion developed that became, it, it became the Christianity, the root of Christianity, um, it took on different character, and one of the things that it did that it has to reckon with today, and I don't know how it's going to do this, honestly, is it forbade Jewish people from being Jews. And it continued what the Seleucid Greeks had tried to do uh, that led up to the time of the Maccabees. And they, the bishops forbid Jews who were believers in Yeshua from having Torah, from keeping Shabbat, from giving Brit Milah to their sons, from um, eating according to uh, any biblical mandates and restrictions, and this was forbidden to them. And in a sense, uh, a new religion started. I understand that within that, there are many different groups who, who love Yeshua, and not all of them are replacement theology, but there's a root issue that has to be dealt with, which is that hostility to the Jews that suppressed all things Jewish. And it's not just enough to say Jewish is good now, but there's got to be a day of reckoning for that, and it's not our job to cause that. It's our job to be faithful to be who we are and to be a Messianic synagogue, and if we're healthy, it will be an encouragement to other groups to get healthy themselves and to re-examine. Because we continually have to re-examine things ourselves. We have to think about what have we inherited that, that we have not embraced? What have we inherited that's been passed on to us that we shouldn't embrace? An example, uh, for those who, who came from certain uh, Jewish backgrounds during um, Yom Kippur, there's a time of taking a chicken. And at Passover, taking a chicken and swinging it over one's head and transferring sin. Um, But the scripture never says, behold the chicken of God. (laughs) That is a substitute process born of a good motivation, which is we need a blood sacrifice. But what is the correct blood sacrifice? It's Messiah. It's not a chicken. And so to to embrace a Jewish practice that 
not only as a substitute, but a misdirection away from Messiah, something that we don't do. There are certain things that we need to take stock of and to participate in the things that are permitted, but not the things that we shouldn't do. So we have to, as a messianic movement, we have to evaluate what we've inherited. We have to also recover what's been lost from us because some things have been neglected. Some things have been forsaken. You know, the gathering on Shabbat, the the reading from Torah, it's important to understand where that comes from. And of course, there's common Jewish history about this and the gathering in synagogues and the reading of Torah from the times of the exile in, in Babylon. But there's more to it than that. Yeshua himself went to synagogue on Shabbat, on Saturday, and participated in the reading of Torah and Haftarah and so forth, in the times of worship and the times of prayer. And that's why, you remember, he read from Isaiah 61, from that scroll. And he was reading a passage that was prophetic. It was his custom, it was his habit to gather together on Shabbat. Paul, who was an apostle to Gentiles, continued as well in the same custom. And he would go to synagogue every Shabbat in order to participate in the reading of the scriptures and the prayers and to be part of the Jewish community. And so it's important for us to embrace that. There are many uh, Messianic congregations that haven't embraced that because it doesn't quite fit in with their understanding of what life should be in a congregational sense. Or they haven't developed the competencies that are necessary in order to read from Torah, in order to um, handle Torah. Some some Messianic congregations are well-intended, but they use the Torah as a prop. And they get it out. They maybe even carry it around. Uh, They may even set it down. But I've seen congregations that don't actually read from the Torah. They read from their English Bibles or their Hebrew English Bibles. I remember looking at the Torah at one point. Can I tell the truth? When we moved here. And... After a few months, I had this question, wait a minute, the Torah is the same size. The rolls on the left and the right are the same as when we got here. And I remember asking, how can that be? And someone said, well, we can't read from it yet. We read from this. And I thought, okay, we have to develop that. We have to develop that capacity in order to be authentic. Because why else would you bring out the Torah? It's not a prop. It's the living word of God. It's authoritative. It's powerful. Right? Yeah. It's not bad if you vocalize agreement at times like this. It encourages me. It's a way you can participate as well, I've threatened to send you all to black churches that can teach you how to vocalize uh, in a, amen, brother, yeah. (laughs) You learn sometimes by fellowshipping with different kinds of people. I remember praying with some Spanish pastors 
who didn't understand a word of English, but they could pray well, and they were going, ah, si, senor, si, senor. And I was thinking, si, senor. That's like saying, yes, sir. But they were saying, yes, Lord, because senor really means Lord, right? Am I right, Spanish speakers? Yeah. And so they were saying, yes, Lord, yes, Lord. Well, I got it. And so I started praying, and si, senor. It, it was pleasant to participate like that. We want to be what God has called us to be. That will cause us to understand how we should act. The two have to go together. And our challenge is to be a messianic synagogue, not something else. Our calling is to be a messianic synagogue. And thank the Lord we are a messianic synagogue, not something else. At our welcome class, we always start with this, that we're called to be a messianic synagogue. And... Some people who come from church backgrounds stumble over that. It's understandable, but you need to know who we are. And some people who, who come from synagogue backgrounds may stumble over, well, what does it really mean to be messianic? And that takes time. It takes, uh, it takes a heart change. It takes revelation. It takes experience. Praying in the name of Yeshua, understanding the power of the Holy Spirit, understanding the life that God has in mind for us. Because we're not just rabbinic Judaism with a little bit of Jesus added in. And we're not Christianity with a little bit of Jewishness added in. We have a distinct history that's recorded in the scriptures, and we emerge from a, a time of Jewish diversity during the Second Temple. When Judaism was diverse and had many different forms and shapes and understandings, and from all the diverse groups of the Jewish world, something happened that brought us together, and that was the coming of Messiah, who changed everything for us and caused Pharisee Jews and Sadducee Jews to be able to fellowship together. They had to make some adjustments. The Sadducees had to give up on the idea that there was no physical resurrection. They had to change their theology. The Pharisees had to give up on the idea that, that food purity meant you couldn't fellowship with people who didn't eat exactly the way you ate. They had to wrestle with some of these things. And all the Jews had to deal with this. When God started bringing Gentiles into the community, they had to deal with, oh no, now what? Now what do we do? Because the the big sociological and theological issue was this. Can Gentiles be saved? Can Gentiles become followers of Messiah? And there were many who thought it wasn't possible, so the only remedy was for a Gentile to become a Jew. But in fact, through Peter, who was an apostle to the Jews, the revelation about the Gentiles was given, that Gentiles can be acceptable to God too. It's very important. They had a revelation about what Messiah was accomplishing with the Jewish people and with all the nations. And I'll take a moment here to speak about um, what we also are not. We're not a one new man movement, and I'll tell you why. Well, my sharp word is because in America, one new man means one less Jew. Yeah, because it's an assimilationist movement. Because the scripture does not actually say one new man, it says one new humanity. 
It's very important to understand this because humanity is made up of many individuals and many people groups. So when it says that neither Jew nor Greek, neither slave nor free, neither male nor female, it's talking about in things in terms of value, acceptance, worth in God's eyes, and that the barriers, the hostilities that separate those, um, those groupings are, are being torn down. It's very important to understand that. So the, the Gentile hostility to Jews and the Jewish hostility to Gentiles is torn down in Messiah. And the the, the male domination and the female dominations of one another are tor- torn down in Messiah. And the sense of superiority or inferiority is torn down in Messiah, and we become one new humanity. It's very important to grasp that because humanity is made up of many people groups, many families, many backgrounds. And if you reduce um, your understanding through a wrong translation of one new man, then it's in one person that all these things are like blended. And you can see all around us what happens when you blend uh, gender and you don't allow boundaries for gender. It becomes confusion. The same thing happens when you do that to ethnicity and to family background. You cause identity crisis. You destroy people. You don't equip them in this way, you, you do harm to them. The coming together of Jews and Gentiles is not a blending that's um, accomplished in each individual. Everyone brings their authentic ethnicity, their culture, their language, their background, their family heritages, and their strengths and virtues. They bring them into the community. As well, they bring their weaknesses and vulnerabilities and learn how to get strong in the areas where they're weak and vulnerable. It's important to learn both. If you just blend it all together, you know what happens? People have neither strength nor weakness. They have nothing. And in that confusion, they're like a ship afloat in a storm without any anchor and without any means of directions and not being directed by God. They're just tossed to and fro. We need to understand that the one new humanity preserves ethnicity and it preserves culture and it preserves diversity and it preserves gender. It's important to understand that. Without that understanding, you can't navigate the critical issues that are happening in society around us. Not the issues at the gender level and not the issues at the global and geopolitical level. It's impossible to navigate with that wrong understanding. More to say about that in the future. <laughs> We're called to be a teva. Say this word with me, teva. It means ark or box. The teva of Noah was a box. It was a big one. It didn't have sails. It didn't have a rudder. It was built, in a sense, as a box with four corners, if you will, and into it were brought 
the animals and the people who were preserved and made safe. It's very important. The building of this teva was something that required lifelong commitment by Noah, and it was initiated by God. It wasn't Noah's idea. He didn't wake up one morning, you know, with this concept. You know, I want to make an ark. No, the Lord told him. He built it over the course of his lifetime, and without sails or rudder, it was guided by the Lord when the flood came. And in the same way that that little basket that Moses was put in, it is the second case in Torah of a teva. It also was a teva. And um, his parents made it, Moses' parents made it, they were directed by the Lord. And it also had neither propulsion or steering system, it was guided by the Lord. And in both cases, these were instruments of preservation and salvation. And a messianic synagogue is called to be a teva, to be an ark that can be a place of safety, a place of rescue, a place where we can gather together and we can endure together and we can grow together. There's so much that can be said about this. Today I'm not going to be able to share some things that I shared last night. I encourage you to listen to the podcast last, from last night because um, I cover some things about what it means to be a teva as a messianic synagogue that will be useful to you. We'll explore them in the weeks and months to come. But it's important to understand something, that what we're called to do has many challenges and, and many unknowns and many surprises. How many can, can, can confirm that? But it's a privilege to build a messianic synagogue and to be part of a messianic synagogue. And it's our responsibility to have a long-term view of what God wants to do. It's not just for us. And think about the year that we're living in. What is the Hebrew year? 5780. So if we think about the 6,000 years period that precedes the 1,000-year reign of Messiah, it could be 220 more years to go. I mean, I'm not against it wrapping up quick. <laughs> I'm just not counting on it. Because the generations that didn't prepare for the long term all suffered needlessly. The ones that are examples to us thought he, Yeshua could come anytime. But we build for the future for generation after generation after generation. That's the call of Abraham. Not just to do for yourself, but to think about your children, your children's children, and your children's children's children. And to think even beyond that, to think about what will happen 400 years from now, which Abraham had to think about because God told him, you're gonna have, your ancestors are gonna have to deal with that. This is one of the things that motivated Abraham to be strong in the spirit and to pass on his faith and his faithfulness. Now I was so excited today during worship when we were singing Gadol Elohai. And we sang, think about it, we sang in English, in Hebrew, in Spanish, in, in Russian, in Italian, in German, in Korean, who knows what's next? Could be more. But wasn't it exciting to sing in that way? I, I think somehow we'll, we'll take a 
clip or a front, take that song and add it into the podcast somehow, either at the beginning, the end, or maybe right now.
person standing next to you.
Shabbat Shalom. <laughs> awesome. It's great to be able to worship the Lord in many different languages. We serve a great God. That's a reflection of who we are. We're called in our diversity to love each other, to accept each other, to appreciate each other and value each other, and to do this in the context of a Jewish synagogue dedicated to Messiah that's open to every kind of person that wants to be joined with the Jewish Messiah and the Jewish people. It's a great calling. It's a unique calling. And I'm looking forward to Kadima 2019 Messianic Mishpocha starting Wednesday night with the rabbis from Ukraine and Crimea who will be with us, who will be speaking to this Messianic Mishpocha life, the issues and equipping us and strengthening us from the experiences that they've had. Make sure to be with us Wednesday night, Friday night, Saturday morning, Saturday afternoon, Saturday night. There'll be nothing like it. It's going to be a great experience. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for your faithfulness to us, and we thank you for the high calling that you've called us to. Let us persevere. Let us be faithful too. Let us endure to the telos, to the purpose and the goal and the ultimate aims that you have in mind that we could fulfill the great things that you want to accomplish. In Yeshua's name we pray. Amen. Let's close with Aaron's blessing. Would you please rise? If you're standing by yourself, by the way, please move. Just enough so that you're not alone. Yivarechecha Adonai v'yishmarecha Ye'er Adonai p'navelecha v'yichunecha Yisa Adonai p'navelecha v'yasem lecha Shalom. The Lord bless you. The Lord keep watch over you and protect you. The Lord cause the light of his face to shine upon you. The Lord be gracious to you. The Lord lift up his face to you and give you his peace. In the name of Yeshua, the Prince of Peace. Amen. Shabbat Shalom. Amen.